Welcome to the program. Who is the Holy Father? A strange question we ask you, but it's very important because with the Holy Father, the one who calls himself Holy Father, Pope Francis coming to the United States in September 2015, we have to ask the question, who is the Holy Father? In scripture, the title Holy Father was used by Christ Jesus, and it is a, a title addressed to God in heaven. Jesus said, and the night before he died, he prayed to God in these words, Holy Father, keep them through thy name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. This is the awesomeness of the title Holy Father. Only those who are in Christ Jesus by God's grace have a right and privilege to call God Father and Holy Father. Nonetheless, this uh, present Pope Francis and the, the Vatican has for years um, called the Pope's Holy Father. If you go to Zenith webpage, you'll find that again and again they talk about the Holy Father, meaning the Pope in Rome. And in fact, 266 Holy Fathers, or so-called Holy Fathers, are um, claimed between uh, St. Peter and the present Francis, 266. The splendor of Rome, its power, is in this title that they think is God-made, that God made the fact that the Pope is to be the head of the Church, the Vicar of Christ. And so it is that we have the, the abomination, and I think that is not too strong of a word, that the Vatican webpage, January 2015, has dared to say that there are 266 Holy Fathers, that is, Popes, from between St. Francis to, I beg your pardon, from St. Peter, and they, they haven't called him St. Francis yet, to St. from Peter to Francis. And it's, it's no wonder you get stumbling on this because the whole thing is so horrific that they claimed from Peter to Francis 266 popes and I ask Pastor Bill Mancaro now to, to give something biblically and historically how, how we can analyze this absurdity. Thank you Richard, it's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, well as, as you know very well and our, our audience does as well, the great center of, of uh, religious life in the, in the view of the world is the Vatican and is the Pope uh, and Papal Rome enjoys this uh, worldly preeminence um, and also exercises an authoritarian both religious and political dominion uh, over over its adherents uh, and it's uh, there, there are millions and millions of, of uh, Catholics who uh, believe and are instructed to believe anything that this man, the Pope says, uh, and speaking, uh, uh, yeah, nearly a billion actually, uh, a billion, yeah, billion. Yeah, yeah. yes, that's very true. Uh, but there is this edifice, uh, um, a, a great writer called uh, Satan's greatest masterpiece uh, of Catholicism on one hand, and we have the true kingdom of God on the other hand, uh, not as worldly visible uh, as as uh, the Roman Catholic uh, organization is uh, but the true kingdom of God in the spiritual body of Christ continues to grow triumphantly under the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ here and now every moment it's the world is under his direction nothing happens by accident uh, it's all under directed by the Lord so but it is hidden from the view of the world not perceptible as an institutional force, the true church remains the ultimate fact of human history and it's going to be fully revealed when the Lord returns. Uh, 
so we have two contemporary entities. We have the Vatican structure uh, with its papacy, uh, and we have the true Church of Christ. The Vatican has, because the Lord has willed it uh, to, to, to be this way, sadly it has proven itself to be the most dominant um, uh, one uh, today uh, because the Pope plays a ma- major part on the stage of world history. And we've seen that certainly with, with Pope uh, John Paul II uh, and his very involvement in, in world history. Uh, and make no mistake, uh, every Pope is political. Uh, they have ambassadors, as we talked about in a previous video. video. These, this is a political power. Uh, it's critical to understand the present-day context in which the Vatican is making its claim. Uh, currently, the rise of 7th century um, uh, Islam in general, and currently the, the rise of ISIS in the Middle East, uh, in particular, is focusing the Western world back to religion as a, as a force with which we reckon. And because of that, the Muslims know their religion uh, back to, to uh, their history, back to Muhammad. So it makes sense that the papacy would publish, in fact, this year, its claim to its religious history, saying it is more ancient and more powerful. So it is, I would say the word would be grave concern, that we biblically, number one, and historically, number two, and both, analyze the Vatican's claim. Uh, Now, you'll look on your screen, you'll see something taken directly from the Vatican website. It is the uh, list of the first four of the Vatican's claimed popes. Uh, Peter, Linus, uh, Anacletus, also known as Cletus, and Clement. Those are the first four popes, says the Vatican. They are a foundational tradition to the Roman Catholic system. And if there's any uncertainty uh, about any of, of those popes, supposed popes, that's going to undermine the entire tradition of the Catholic Church and their entire claim uh, to be the original church. Uh, more than uncertainty, however, is serious skepticism about Linus, about Cletus, about Clement. Uh, and uh, I have a book here. It's called Lives of the Popes. Lives of the Popes. Uh, and it's written by a heavyweight in the Catholic Church, Richard P. McBrien. He was a uh, Catholic scholar of Notre Dame University. Uh, he was uh, the president of the Catholic Theological Society of America. Uh, this is a highly respected uh, man in the Catholic Church. He, In fact, he was ordained as a Catholic priest as well. Uh, and in this book, Lives of the Popes, the Pontiffs from St. Peter to John Paul II, uh, Richard McBrien stated, and I will quote directly from his book, Although Catholic tradition, beginning in the late 2nd and early 3rd centuries, regards St. Peter as the first bishop of Rome and therefore as the first pope, there is no evidence, this is quoting now, there is no evidence that Peter was involved in the initial establishment of the Christian community in Rome. In parentheses, indeed, what evidence there would seems to point in the opposite direction or that he served as Rome's first bishop. Not until a pontificate of St. Pius I in the middle of the 2nd century, uh, 142 to 155 AD, did the Roman Church have a mono-episcopal structure of government. One bishop is pastoral leader of a diocese, is what that means. Those whom Catholic tradition lists as Peter's immediate successors, Linus, uh, Cletus, Clement, etc., did not function as one bishop of Rome. Again, still quoting from uh, Dr. McBrien here. They did not function as one uh, uh, bishop of Rome. The Roman community seems instead to have had a corporate or collegial form of pastoral leadership. Thus, counted among the those counted, excuse me, among the earliest popes, therefore, may very well have been simply individuals who presided over the local council of elders or presbyter bishops or they may have been the most prominent of the pastoral leaders of the community. In any case, continuing with the quote from Dr. Uh, McBrien, in any case, the popes of the first four centuries, that is, until the watershed papacy of Leo I in the middle of the fifth century, 
functioned with relatively limited authority beyond Rome and its immediate environs. Now, because this statement, because this statement by Richard P. McBrien, which is, by the way, from chapter 1, page 25, utterly undermines the basic premise of the Vatican, we need to document the facts of history that paved the way for the ordinary bishops of Rome, as he says, to become the alleged uh, sovereigns over Christendom. From the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, it's apparent the gospel was faithfully treasured uh, in the early Roman congregations. Uh, Under severe persecution from the Roman emperors, uh, those congregations with their pastors remained faithful to the gospel. Uh, The spread of the Christian faith during the first three centuries was very rapid and very extensive, as we we know. Uh, Under this persecution, the pastors or the bishops or the presbyter elders of Rome were faithful and zealous in preaching the gospel of grace. The persecution of Christians ended, as we know, in A.D. 313 when uh, the Emperor Constantine uh, came to the throne and and ended the persecution of Christians. Yes, and from that time, um, we will begin now to see how they began way, way down in history of the time to claim the title of successor of Peter. Before that mm-hmm. uh, the, the the first claim that the bishops of Rome had was to be successor of Caesar that is uh, of the emperor and thus it was when um, in the year um, 330 when the emperor had moved the imperial court and the administration of the empire from Rome to Constantinople that the at that time we find that the bishops of Rome beginning to exercise some power and uh, Constantine is looking for something to stabilize his empire and he hopes that it is Christianity and he uh, he is looking to the bishop of Rome and to you know to be to be somebody so that they they could be some there could be some viability that things would hold together the empire would hold together in Rome itself and uh, we know then that historically that's the way it happened in the, f- the when Constantine moved uh, out of t- took the imperial government out of Rome uh, to Constantinople. Yeah. Didn't that leave the Bishop of Rome then much more powerful? It he did. did it, he it, didn't it, have it, a rival anymore? He didn't have a rival anymore, yeah. And uh, he moved, and that, that was in 330. Uh-huh. And uh, then we find that the uh, Bishop of Rome is claiming to be the rightful heir of Caesar, mm-hmm. of the Emperor, mm-hmm. and that they call the Emperor Caesar. And uh, so Imperial uh, Rome had gone, and now we have a... A, um, a bishop of Rome, and he's claiming to be uh, using that title, Pontiff, which was actually a Roman. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, it was. A, it was a pagan title, Pontifex Maximus, and uh, you will see the uh, they uh, they were using this title. Hmm. The, the the chief, the chief, the chief priest. It was the title that the the. Um, the emperor used, he, he was looking for worship of himself, and so he was the Pontifex Maximus. Pagan. And uh, to this day, the Pope uses that yes. title. So it is, uh, it was um, the, the uh, it is very interesting because historically we find that's the way it was. They claimed that. And you will see on your screen two coins, and you can find um, this sort of thing. Uh, on the internet if you go and look for it it's very easy to find you can find there's two pictures Uh, one was of Caesar Augustus in the year 27 before Christ year before Christ and it shows him and you'll see the inscription Pont Max which was the Latin abbreviation for Pontifex Maximus the chief head high priest of the Pontifex Maximus. And then the one of, it appears to be Leo III, you see him with Pontifex Maximus, Pont Max after his name. So this is the, the way, because that's the way it was. 
for many hundreds of years they were claiming, and of course it's still part of the official title of the Pope, Pontifex Maximus, this pagan title that the emperor had, and it shows the real roots of Romanism went back to paganism. So it was, uh, it's quite interesting because uh, that's the way history was and that's the way it unfolded. Thus it was in the year 401 that Innocent I was um, the one who was Pontifex Maximus, but he started quite late now in history, Innocent I, he started to claim that he was also successor to Peter. And this was a novelty because uh, the earlier uh, so-called bishops of Rome, of course nobody was called Pope in those days, they never uh, claimed that. So he was claiming now that something else and that he had Peter's power and prerogative. And uh, later again in the 5th century, another bishop of Rome, uh, uh, that was after instant the first, Leo the first, he was... uh, uh, Bishop of Rome from 430 to uh, 461. Mm-hmm. The fact that Scripture, if you look at Scripture, Scripture is emphatic. It tells you where Peter went to. and uh, Scripture is very precise. It says that Peter uh, visited Samaria, Lydia, Lydda, uh, Joppa, Caesarea, Antioch, and it's carefully recorded. It was significant that Peter went to Rome. Surely the Holy Spirit would have seen that was in the Scripture, but there's not any mention of Peter being in Rome. In actual fact, uh, Paul writes many letters from Rome and spent a long time in Rome, and uh, he never mentions among all those he mentions, and he, he, has, he has a whole page of names. In, uh, ch- Romans chapter 16. Yeah, yeah. Of he, has, he has, I've counted them once, I don't know, it was 20-some or 30-some names N- yes. that maybe you know, but that if 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 anyone, if he'd mentioned anyone at all as being preeminent there, he didn't mention Peter. Yeah, so it's obvious that Peter, Peter never turned up to Rome itself, so it's only a tradition, and it grew up, and it was a, a necessary tradition because they wanted to, to pin their hopes on this, the fact that Peter was, uh, was in Rome and, and was the first bishop, as we, sit, we saw McBride, uh, even if he was in Rome, he certainly was never... <laughs> Never the chief chief. I think I mentioned to you, Richard, chief bishop in Rome. At one time, uh, a few years ago, visited the Mamertine prison in Rome, which is where they say that both Peter uh, and Paul were imprisoned. And I asked the guide. I said, "Well, what's the historical evidence?" Uh, of particularly a Peter being imprisoned here, and he smiled and he said, "I don't know of any." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, well, the don't know historically. It, 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 of course, it will never admit that, and uh, they even claim to have <laughs> have a tomb Peter, which is, again is historically absurd when you analyze it. But um, would you explain how it came about that there was a, pre, a real preeminence because it wasn't just the desire and lust for fame and power on part of the bishops of Rome but how the emperor, now Justinian, because Constantine is a long time dead, you know, how now the Justinian, how he in the 6th century set things up. Oh absolutely, that, that is, is very key as, as you know. Uh, the Emperor uh, Justinian, uh, more than anyone else, established the supremacy uh, of the Bishop of Rome, and that was in the in the sixth century. He did it in a formal and legal manner. Uh, remember, he was the emperor; he wasn't the pope. He was the emperor. Uh, he had the civil power, uh, and he did it by bringing religious matters under the control of civil law. Uh, uh, the historian uh, Leroy Edwin Froome summarized what happened. I quote from his book, The Historical Development of Prophetic Interpretation. Justinian I, 527 to 565, was the greatest of all the rulers of the Eastern Roman Empire. His great achievement was the regulation of ecclesiastical and theological matters crowned by the empirical decretal letter seating the Bishop of Rome in the churches as the, quote, head of all the holy churches, unquote, thus laying the legal foundation for papal 
ecclesiastical supremacy. Again, unquote from uh, his uh, uh, book previously cited. So Justinian, uh, Justinian's uh, decree uh, didn't create uh, what you would call the status of the Bishop of Rome, but set a legal foundation for the acquisition of civil ruling power by the bishops of Rome. It set a, a civil uh, foundation, a legal foundation for civil power, government, civil government power. Soon after Justinian's decree, the bishop of Rome began to reign like kings, or even dictators, I think is appropriate as well. The bishop of Rome uh, in uh, 657 AD uh, was, a, was a man named Vitalian. Uh, he was the first one who uh, was addressed by the title Pope, or Papa. Uh, he was called in Latin Papa Vitalianus, or Pope Vitalian. Uh, it took time for the Pope of Rome uh, to spread the exercise of his state-sanctioned title, state-given title, over the other bishops of, of Europe, and they resisted him. Uh, the, the Bishop of Alexandria, the Bishop of Jerusalem. Why shouldn't? Why? Why is the Bishop of Rome preeminent? <laughs> why? If anybody's preeminent, I, it should be the Bishop of Jerusalem, shouldn't it? But so there was a lot of struggles and a lot of uh, uh, difficulties about that. Uh, but uh, even in northern Italy, uh, as late as A.D. 800, uh, Claude, the Bishop of Turin, didn't recognize the Bishops of Rome's authority, and there were other Bishops of Turin that did not recognize uh, that the Bishop of Rome was supreme over, over all other Bishops. Yes, but um, there was, nonetheless, there was growth. Uh, if we, tra we can trace it actually from the 4th up to the 8th century, there was growth of real papal power, and was mostly trade-offs with kings and uh, what had been and what had been the old uh, imperial em uh, Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. And then in the 8th uh, century, very interesting, um, that there was the, the Pope was given by the French, uh, well, the French kings and uh, was presented with as a reward territory and uh, th for what they had won in battle. Uh, in the book that I have written called East of Eden, I have two chapters and I give that in detail. There's a um, three or four paragraphs explain all that I've said there in a few sentences, but there was a detail of who they were and how they did it and how, what were the name of the battles, but they, they handed over um, physical territory so that the Pope now is going to be like a king with his own territory. He's going to be sovereign over that. And uh, then uh, as the years went on, Popes began to be more and more act um, with this, uh, not just haughtiness, but like, like they were a ruling king and uh, they, they, um, they would um, advance her own power, you know, with trade-offs with other uh, political um, entities. And um, it, was, um, it was in the year that uh, 800 that uh, the then Pope Leo III uh, was, was the one who crowned Charlemagne as emperor, you know, so he, he did, he honored now the, the emperor by calling him Charlemagne, you know, by, uh, by officially crowning him as the, uh, the, uh, uh, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, the, the, the new empire, which was the Holy Roman Empire, it wasn't the Roman Empire as such as of old, when the, it was just the power of the emperor, now it's the Holy Roman Empire, and uh, you, know, you know what some Protestant historians say about the Holy Roman Empire, it wasn't holy, it wasn't Roman, and it wasn't an empire. <laughs> yes, I know, I know, but man, did they make it look like it was, and they, they did achieve in putting on a good show, which they still do, uh, with, like with the... With, with Francis coming now to the States and going to address Congress here in the United States, 
in uh, 2015 it's going to be a show again they know how to put on a show and they must uh, admire their their uh, ability to put on a good show well they need it because that's all they have they don't have in actual fact uh, any power uh, except the power to deceive and spiritually they do succeed in spiritually deceiving uh, multitudes, millions and millions of people who believe all of this unbelievable stuff. So it's a, it's a, it's horrendous to see. But we must, uh, we must go through the course of history and pinpoint these things. We jump up now to a crucial date, and uh, it pains my heart to go to that date. It's twelve hundred and three. I have a whole video on that itself called The Inquisition. It was the beginning of the massacre and brutal torture and putting to death of believers and Jews and people they called witches and uh, and um, people who were in the Knights Templar. It was a, a Catholic order that had rebelled against Rome and they, they, they came against those. And it was this innocent III in in 2013 and they began to enforce the Roman Catholic might through its Pope by military force and we had the uh, the beginning of the what's called the Inquisition it began by by going right across what's what's present-day France and uh, what, what the same territory where we had the Albigenses and the Albigenses were true Christian believers. They have been, Rome was trying to say out they were heretics mm-hmm. and they tried to give them a bad name. But historically, I've done tremendous research on that and so have others. It was obvious that these were true believers and they were wiped out. Some of the cities, really, the, they flowed with blood. And it was a, a brutal massacre of entire populations. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I have a dear friend there who works with us in, in Albi. It was one of the cities that was known for the Albigenses. So the city was called Albi, where the the Bible believers were so strong of old, and they they were they were brilliantly strong on, on in their faith, and they were devastated. And today, it's very hard to find any true Bible believers in Albi. You know, the, the Catholic Church wiped out what had been true biblical faith in France and in that city in particular, Albi. And uh, it's uh, this horrific uh, 605 years of Inquisition went on right through what's called, rightly so, the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages. It was the Dark Ages. It was dark because of Romanism and the horrific theft, murder, torture that went on in those years. It, 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 it's horrifying to even think how, how horrific the tortures could be were it not real. And we actually have photographs of, of some of those torture machines. And uh, we might show one or two here on the screen uh, because it's, um, it's, it, it's, it's something that needs to be known. Now, can you go on to explain, uh, Bill, how it was that these people who claim to be the Holy Father, how in actual fact <laughs> most <laughs> were, were not Holy Fathers? And can you give us some details of, of this, uh, this line of so-called 266? How, how much time do we have? <laughs> yes. <laughs> not enough, not enough. Uh, you mentioned the Vatican's list of 266 Holy Fathers from Peter to the present Pope. Uh, actually, they were unholy, wicked men. Many of them were unholy, wicked men. Uh, just to give you a few examples of many, it's very easy to find these uh, this information uh, in books on the Internet. Uh, Pope Honorius, Honorius reigned from 625 A.D. to 638. Uh, he was the Pope and was condemned by a heretic by a Catholic Church Council, a six ecumenical council. He was condemned as a heretic. As yeah. a heretic, yes. He, the Pope, was condemned as a heretic by, by this church council uh, in 680 and met from 680 to 681. He was also condemned by a heretic by Pope Leo II, as well as by subsequent Roman popes. 
903 AD, Pope Leo V reigned for all of 30 days, one month, because Christopher, who was a cardinal priest of San Damasco, had Leo put in prison and declared himself Pope. Uh, Leo V was murdered while in prison, and Christopher was murdered. Christopher was sent to prison by another guy uh, named Sergius, put Christopher in prison and murdered him. <laughs> yeah, oh my. <laughs> uh, Sergius then became Pope Sergius III from 904 to 911 A.D., uh, and he was a horrible, horrible murderer, an immoral person. Uh, but look on the Vatican's list. He's number 120 of the Holy Fathers, quote. Uh, then we have Pope John Twelfth, who reigned from 955 A.D. to 963, and according to, uh, again, Richard uh, McBrien, who, uh, the Catholic scholar that uh, we quoted earlier, John Twelfth was, quote, elected at age 18. He led one of the most immoral lives of any pope in history, which is a tall order, and died of a stroke allegedly in the bed of a married woman, unquote. Uh, the notorious Pope John Twelfth is number 131 on the Vatican's hit list of Holy Fathers. Uh, now, the dominant uh, Crescente family of Italy played an important part in the history of the making and the unmaking uh, of Roman popes in the middle of the uh, 10th through the 11th century. Uh, uh, Count Theophylact of Tusculum, uh, in what became the Tusculum political family, began uh, making and unmaking Roman popes. Uh, they, they controlled and pretty much fought with uh, the, these other families about this, this other family about who would be the pope. It was all a political thing. In fact, for two centuries, the status of being pope was an area of confusion because you had the Crescente family on the one side and the Tusculan families of Italy. They disputed and fought over it like it was a prize, a possession, that they could decide who was going to get it. Uh, the year 1073 was a turning point. Uh, coming out of these centuries of gross immorality and, and immoral popes. Now, it was religious discipline became the norm of the papacy. You might think, oh, that's, that's a good thing. You know, we have to have religious discipline. Well, uh, reaching above the lusts of the flesh, now it became the lust of papal minds uh, to clutch at total power, total dominion, both religious, ecclesiastical, and civil. Uh, Pope Gregory VII, who was also known as Hildebrand, uh, was ambitious beyond any who had preceded him. Uh, he was convinced that the reign of the Pope, of course himself, was in fact the reign of God on earth. And he determined to materially subject all authority and power to himself, both spiritual and temporal, uh, calling it, to, you know, bring it to the chair of Peter. Uh, his goal was to be the supreme ruler and the judge of all world leaders, both church leaders and civil government leaders, state leaders. Uh, Gregory VII advocated the notion that the Pope is Christ's vicar. You've heard that term, vicar on earth. He's Christ's, he's second only to Christ. Uh, this supremacy, which Gregory claimed as his divine right, demanded uh, dominion of over both emperors and kings, leadership over emperors and kings. Um, I, I, on an earlier video, we showed some uh, some videos that I had taken uh, in the Vatican Museum, showing the Pope uh, uh, seated on his uh, throne with various leaders, kings and emperors, uh, on their knees in front of him, presenting their crown and their symbol of their authority to him. Uh, so, this wasn't one in a day. They didn't just say, "I'm head over everything," and everybody said, "Okay, fine." No, it was it was. Uh, Gregory the Seventh, and we can't we can't uh, ignore this. He was a very brilliant man. He he astutely grasped this notion, and he combined with his crushing ambition, uh, and with the enormous wealth that the Roman Catholic Church had amassed by this time, uh, which made it uh, possible to implement this. So these uh, enactments, began, very shrewd enactments, began to bear fruit even during Gregory the Seventh. Uh, own rule from seven, uh, 1073 to 1085. So that's just, a, given the time, we have a very brief outline. There are many more uh, popes we could talk about. Uh, yes, and uh, that was to continue. This um, might and power was to continue after Gregory. Sure. 
he he did away with blatant immorality, but he brought in much worse immorality of power grab, which brought in a lot of other type of immorality with it. And it was uh, it was um, for two centuries after after Gregory that we see that we see the the um, the the might of Rome blatantly seen to depose kings and princes and to bring to ruin some cities and uh, and lands utterly wasted you know as as the as the Rome and its armies uh, massacred people and and uh, then uh, Pope Innocent the third he was from um, Pope from 11 and 98 to 1216 and he was one who put final touches he and uh, Boniface the the eighth uh, to the papal triumphal march through blood and power and temporal power and uh, it was innocent the third as I explained already in 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 twelve oh three who brought in the started the Inquisition of cruel immorality uh, horrendous uh, suffering caused through torture and brutality and uh, that and having destroyed before that as we said already the Albigenses in France and then uh, the um, Boniface the eighth he was known and it's to be stubborn, ambitious, intellectual, vain, and unscrupulous, completely unscrupulous in what he did. And uh, he believed literally that the the Pope uh, on earth was Christ's vicar. He was representing Christ, and he had extraordinary powers. And anyone that opposes him was opposing God by by doing away with the vicar, Christ vicar, and uh, he was infamously known for his bull. I uh, say infamously because it's an infamous bull uh, or papal decree called Unum Sanctum, and I just give the quote from that, which for which he was renowned. We declare, say, define, and proclaim to every human creature that by necessity for salvation are entirely subject that they are entirely subject to the Roman Pontiff so to be saved you've got to be subject to the Roman Pontiff how how horrendous can you get Uh, you may say well how horrendous can you get but this went on and on it wasn't just that we had these names of come from Innocent III where we had 75 popes in a row going from Pope Innocent III to Pope Pius VII the Vicars of Christ by by um, Peter de Rosa uh, he is Catholic too like McBrien uh, he he uh, he 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 gives documents them and name names them. So it, you're it, saying seventy in a row approved of torture. Yes, se- yes, seventy five. Seventy five. Seventy five, and it was they approved actually one one of the popes was one of the who who invented some of the tortures that were to go on. So it was a, it's a, it's horrendous and a, it's 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 hard to even say these things because it, it's so horrendously evil. And uh, but we must know the facts of history. Uh, the famous saying: "If you don't know history, you repeat it." And uh, and it's 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 it, it, it is horrendous to see these facts of history. And uh, now we go on to a time afterwards where the popes no longer have military force, and they no longer are in charge. Uh, so that they can bring about their will politically in an overt way. They can't do all that they did in those medieval dark ages. But in the present times, coming up to the modern world, they still have political power. 
they still have political power and people are not conscious of this and they sinisterly use it and it is horrendous to see just how the Vatican uses this. Bill, you and myself made a video on this, you know, political coercion through civil power and I'll just give a little summary of it because we had a whole probably 15 minutes explaining the details of it. It's, it's a it's the Vatican uses civil power now to bring about uh, its its own aims and uh, one of the more well known of these what now called concordat was the legal agreement made between Pius Twelfth and Hitler that concordat is still extant, it's still in existence. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's, it's the reason why uh, Roman Catholics have to pay a percentage of their wages uh, uh, so that the, uh, what's collected by the state actually comes to the Catholic Church, you know, percentage of your wages, it's like a tax. Uh, and that's still, that is still, uh, I have known many uh, uh, people in, in, in a, in places like Germany, who have who have uh, signed out as a membership of the Catholic Church, so they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have to come under this tax, uh, and it, it's because it's still there. So, but when you think of the horrors that went on in World War Two with Hitler, and Pius the Twelfth did not say a word. There's a whole book written on it. And he's called Pope. Hitler's Pope, written by a Catholic to Hitler's Pope, wow. a very, very well-known book. So you think it was all, all involved? It was an old saying: "Follow the money." It was it, all. Of it was, and it was, it was, and it, 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 it's. Again, this is all history, and it's. Uh, we have concordats have gone on now for years. Uh, originally, uh, concordats were in like that one with uh, Hitler and. Um, and Pius XII, it was European or it was the Latino nations. Now there are uh, concordats with nations right across the world. And it is, uh, uh, for example, from 1950 to 1999, there were 126 legal concordat. A concordat establishes the rights of Catholics to have education, Catholic education. It it uh, attempts to uh, have civil power for the for the Catholic Church regarding property and property rights, and uh, that varies from from country to country because they cannot always achieve that, and that would be a goal of theirs, but they cannot achieve it. And they have um, uh, rights, of course, who will be appointed bishop and all that. That that's a, a, a political maneuver for them. But these concordats are recognized in civil law. I think I told you about it before on that video when I was in Slovakia in the year 2000. The believers there were horrified because in that year Slovakia entered into concordat with the Vatican and the believers were telling me this means that the way this is written out that we won't be able to have build churches because we will not be able legally to have property because of civil law and they said if we build a church it's not going to be that the archbishop turns up at our doorstep no it's going to be the police it's civil law and that they couldn't have radio stations and things like that that was the concordat which is still in force in Slovakia and uh, basically like a communist country yeah 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 and it's it, 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 it's, it's Vatican power and I have a video on that which I made with uh, Jan Sekula and uh, Ivan Havana, two uh, Slovakian brothers in the Lord, and you can see them pour out their hearts on that video. You can find that video on our webpage. Um, Bill, these things are horrendous because we're talking about now not just concordance, but we're talking about political political shenanigans or ambassadors between the Vatican and states and that's now 179.
ambassadors. Ambassadors. Uh, yeah. the, uh, the United States doesn't have a concordat, but it has an ambassador. Right. It was set up under Ronald Reagan, actually, yes. in 1984, if I remember rightly. So, Bill, would you go on and let's get back to... Yes, at I, least to bathe ourselves in the truth of the word. Absolutely. What if, what is the, the title of yeah. Father? What what it really means, and how the okay. Roman Catholic Church sure, sure, uh, sure. denigrates that Absolutely title? Absolutely, the difference between what the Bible says and what the Roman Catholic Church says about the title of Father. One thing I do want to point out before we leave the subject entirely: if people want to know more about this, there are a number of good books to read. Uh, one in particular to look at the history of much of the history you're talking about is called The History of Protestantism, a book that you know very well by J.A. Wiley, W-Y-L-I-E. So I certainly, and I'm sure Richard would as well, recommend that book. Yeah, and um, what I'd like to say is for, for our listener, and we, we're talking to you, if you want to get an article that has all these details and we give the exact footnotes, where they're found and everything. You can just email us right. and we will email you a physical copy of all the documentation Excellent. of what we've spoken about on this video. Okay. okay, getting back to the question of uh, this title of Father, as we started talking about the Holy Father, as he calls himself, the, the, the Pope, um, and how does that compare with what the Bible says? Well, beholding the Father's love by the intimate title of Father Remember Christ on the cross, and Christ used that term many, many times in his prayer in the garden, and uh, calling Abba, Father, Daddy, uh, literally in Aramaic. Uh, it gives the true believer the, a deep uh, sense of being loved personally as a child of God. He's our Father. Uh, we're his child. Uh, in total contrast is the official Roman Catholic Church position talks about submitting one's uh, highest faculties, which is mind and will, to another father, the so-called Holy Father in Rome, the Pope. So the official law uh, from of the Roman Catholic Church, and I'm going to quote from uh, the Catholic Code of Canon Law, which is uh, uh, number, canon number 752, quote, a religious respect of intellect and will, even if not the assent of faith, is to be paid to the teaching which the Supreme Pontiff or the College of Bishops enunciate on faith or morals, unquote. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus commands, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, Matthew 22. See the difference? Yes, yes, indeed, man. <laughs> Stark difference. See, a man or woman cannot be impartial. You can't serve two masters, two sovereigns. Uh, the Lord's command contradicts that of the pontiff. Between two masters who are incompatible and demanding total allegiance. Uh, so, a choice. It's, it's necessary to make a choice. Being a Catholic, who is your Lord? Who do you give your complete uh, assent of intellect and will, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul? Who are you going to do? Is it going to be the, the, the Vatican, the, the pontiff, who demands it? Or is it going to be the Lord Jesus Christ who demands it? Uh, you have to decide who's your Lord. Uh, remember, the Lord Jesus gave the command, Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. It's also in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, so the Father in heaven is worthy of worship. And a true believer will speak to God alone the words, Holy Father. No, but the Church of Rome teaches that the Pope is called the Holy Father. So please pray that the Lord God will be gracious enough to lift the spiritual blindness that binds Catholic men and women to a system that substitutes the Pope for the Lord Jesus Christ. Please, will you pray for that? We certainly are, Richard. Yes, and we're not to presume on the grace of Christ. And we see this horrendous system, and what do we do? Uh, I say we look to Scripture. Uh, Paul, with enthusiasm in, 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 in Romans 3, said, Now the righteousness of God is revealed even by 
the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is of faith in Christ Jesus, unto all them that believe there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace that is in Christ Jesus. Oh man, the gospel were justified freely by God's grace that is in Christ Jesus. We look to God for his grace. And dear listener, if you are Roman Catholic, know that you're precious in God's sight because of the gospel. Exactly. It's God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten exactly. Son that whosoever believeth in him should not die. And this message is for you. Look not to any system to save you, but look to the person of Jesus Christ as you trust on him before God the all-holy God and you will know those words to be your own words justified freely by his grace through the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus I hope people will take the time after, right immediately after this video is finished to pray for their own soul and those of their Catholic friends and family yes and like Paul said also in, in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Nobody is anything to boast. It's all of God, and God is gracious, and it is, it is wonderful. It, it, it's so encouraging to my heart, and it's so encouraging to my heart when we make a video, and this has been difficult to make because of the details, the, the, the details have been really important and we, we've got those details across to you and as I say if you want to get a copy of the, the whole text in an article form we'll email that to you but most of all that we would hear from you that you've looked to God for his grace and it, it's always such a joy to me, I, I can hardly explain it when I get an email from somebody who says the Lord touched my heart and I want to thank God and thank you for being his instrument and you'll see my email address on your screen and just send an email um, I have to apologize that in recent times I had been not in too good health and I was a little bit slow in answering some some of those actually some very slow but now um, by God's grace back again and uh, we'll answer fairly speedily if, if you if you email, you'll see the email on your screen. And I thank you for listening, and it's, a, it's always a joy to hear from you. The gospel is what is at stake. And we finish with the scripture given in Hebrews. Wherefore, receive me a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace, whereby we serve God acceptably and with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire praise his holy name for salvation in Christ now and forevermore amen and amen praise God